Welcome to the Dishmaster. Hi, Mark. How's it going? Um, it's going good. I'm going to New York tomorrow to visit family, so that's good. Cool. It's going to be cold. I know. <clears throat> I know. I'm going to Long Island. I'm very excited. Um, so, yeah, I have so many things to update you on, but first we have to mourn the loss of Twitch. Did you read about that? Stephen Voss? No. Yeah, so he was the DJ and later became an executive producer on Ellen DeGeneres' show. He was really a staple of the show. Do you remember him? He was a dancer from So You Think You Can Dance. And then I think he became a judge. Just Google Stephen Twitch boss. No. No, Google him. So you know who I'm talking about. Why no? I'll take orders. Oh, man. I'm doing it, of course. How do you spell his last name? B O S S, boss. Boss. Okay. I don't know if you're saying Bosch or whatever. Uh, okay. You don't recognize him? Nope. I don't watch those TV shows that you mentioned. Well, tragic. He committed suicide. Three children, young guy, days before Christmas. Oh, it's oh just no. absolutely awful. Um, you know, I just feel terrible about it, but also like it just reminds me that Instagram is not real. Because like I remember looking at his Instagram and he just uploaded a video of him and his wife dancing on Instagram and they looked mm-hmm really happy not a care in the world oh man and every time he was in an interview he talked about being so happy and really never mentioned any mental health issues to my knowledge so who knows what was going on behind the scenes but it really is a reminder that when you look at somebody's social media that it really has nothing to do oftentimes with their real personal life I just feel like it goes one way or the other, unfortunately, where either people are trauma bombing you on Instagram and just flooding you with posts about their depression, or they're hiding what's going on behind the scenes and flooding you with toxic positivity. There doesn't seem to just be a diversity of posts of just good day, bad day, good day, bad day. Yeah, I I don't know how to handle that. Like if someone... If someone's having a bad day and they put it on social media, like for the world, um, I get really confused about what to do. Oh, I don't. I always reach out to them directly. (laughs) I mean, just because I just feel there's an obligation. If somebody posts that they're struggling, I reach out to them personally. I feel that that's what you do. I don't know. That's how I feel about it. But but I also feel like if I'm having a cranky day, even I post it on social media. So it's not necessarily like depressed or elated, like got fired, got the job or, you know, like depressed or like I said, it's it's not it doesn't have to. There's so many like shades of life that aren't always on the extremes and i just feel like social media Mm -hmm. is just the extremes i have a really yeah i have a really negative relationship with social media don't like it um i don't really use it to be honest like i Mm -hmm. use it to uh 
post personal stuff that like I find cool and inspiring, but I don't use it to often scroll through other people's lives. Like that's not interesting to me. I I'm, I do such a good job, in my opinion, of nurturing my existing relationships that I don't mm -hmm. need to rely on social media to get updates on people's lives because I check in with them often. And you know, like not to brag, but I have a lot of friends and that's because- yeah. I make a substantial effort to reach out to them. I have a friend recently that I had a falling out with because she canceled on me for, you know, the upteenth time and I just had enough of it. And I called her out and I said, look, I make a substantial effort to nurture my relationships. It doesn't feel like that's reciprocated at this point. And I'm going to stop because I'm only going to reach out so many times before I give up. Yeah. And I said, I, it's quite possible you're going through something I'm not aware of. And if at any point in time you need me to help you out, uh, my door is always open. But this is the last of my reach outs. Yeah, you do it. You do an amazing job cultivating, curating your friendships and making sure that they're nurtured. I do yeah. not. I do. I used to. I used to do that. I used to put a lot of effort into that. And then it, when it when it's not reciprocated over time, I just kind of got broken down from it. Like, oh, what's the use? You know, I just just keep a handful and, you know, check in with them once in a while. But yeah, social but media, I, I used to like think that I had to promote myself on social media and use it for that. And uh, I just that started to feel really icky. Yeah. I mean, I have a resume business where I help people write resumes and I post that every so often on social media just to remind people I'm still doing it. Um, but I'm not doing it as that business is more about helping people, even though I get paid. Mm -hmm. So it feels like, hey, look, yeah. just a reminder if you need me. Um, but that makes but, sense. Yeah. It's but, not like it's like it's not like muddied in with your personal life or anything like that. either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I will say about you, you're such a good friend. So even if you don't initiate a hang, you always make time to do it if I reach out versus oh, other thanks. people who I have to like stake out and ask numerous times. So because, you know, I don't give up easily, <laughs> No, no. especially when I really like the person and I know they don't like me as much. But like I gain a lot out of that friendship or dynamic. Like I had a teacher in high school that I just loved. And once I graduated and went to college, I was like, I wonder if I could be friends with this person. And it took a few years of me just like kind of sending an email and now I do feel I'm friends with both him and his wife. So that makes me super happy. Um, but, but that took a lot of effort. All right, That's Mark, great. I have an existential dating question for you. Oh boy. And I really want your take because we don't have a ton of news today. Cause as you well, know, it's great. the holidays. And... I haven't gotten the updates. So this is, this is great. I'm yeah. Excited. Okay. So I went to an event and I met this guy and I gave the guy my card. Um, the conversation kind of like flowed and I just was like, well, here's my card. And he's like, here's my card. And he reaches out to me and, you know, he's like moderately flirtatious. I would say my, well, I'll get to that in a second, but he's moderately flirtatious at the, out of the gate. And then he says, you know, why don't we discuss it over dinner? So like a very traditional kind of like, you know, like. Like asking you out. Yeah, asking me out. Yeah, on a date. and you like that. Well, yeah, I do. So now we're going to get to the part where we have the question. Uh -huh. So date gets moved to next week, which is odd because now we're sort of texting, right? Which is like what I don't want to do. Like I hate 
texting for a lengthy period of time before we meet really in person to determine yeah. compatibility. Because you put a lot of energy into that. Yeah, it's too much energy. And yeah. I don't know if we're going to work. Like, mm -hmm. I also wasn't attracted to him at a 10, you know? So anyway, and I, and I read that book, Attached, which we talked about on the other podcast, mm -hmm. which says, even if you're not sort of blown away by somebody that don't use that as a sign because we're so trained to associate toxicity with love mm -hmm. that it's supposed to be more tepid. So I thought I can take a cue from this book I read. Like I'm going to not care that I'm not attracted to him at a 10. So we're texting. And at some point the conversation turns to something about Italians because he's Italian and Jews. Mm -hmm. And I say something and then he writes something back flirtatious. And then he says, would you say Jews are more sexual? And I blow than Italians. Yeah. Or just like are a sexual like being or something, which obviously this is a way into like a sexual conversation. Uh -huh. so, I don't know what I say, but I kind of blow it off. So then he says, I'm guessing that's a no, which already kind of annoyed me. As yeah, in, but you like, blew off the <laughs> you blew I it did off. blow it off, but that doesn't mean it, that's not indicative of not being a sexual person. It's like, I don't know mm. you in my head. That's what I'm thinking. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know you. So then he says, um, so then I say, because I tend to get very turned off very quickly. So I mm -hmm. say, why don't we meet in person before I indulge in a question like that? And I put a emoji to sort of lessen the Which one? Eggplant? The one that has the tongue out. The smiley face with the tongue out, like yeah, high okay. goofy. Like, hey, okay. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So then he writes back, oh, come on. It's a fun conversation. Should I read you exactly what he wrote? Just so we're. Come on. I said, let's see how our first meetup goes before I indulge questions like that. Tongue out emoji. Yeah. He then said, ha, oh, come on. We are adults and it's a fun topic. <clears throat> he wants to flirt with you. I never responded. Mm. So here's my existential question. Mm -hmm. I am full stop turned off by this. Yeah. And my question to you is, you know, I am also kind of hanging out with this other guy who I'm very attracted to who did something similar upon our first texting, which was turning the conversation sexual. And I just rolled with it. I think I played this. I think I did the same kind of coy thing at first, but then when he pushed, I rolled with it and we're super compatible people. Hmm. So, so my point, I guess my question to you is like, is it only as inappropriate as the attraction you have for the other person yeah yeah just or that's you, you i think you've unlocked the whole the whole issue of flirting like any advance if you like the person you'll receive it well if you don't it's harassment i know mark but i guess what i'm saying is 
when I read that text, my mm-hmm. first instinct was, this is objectively gross. Like, you don't know me. I already shirked it. I bun- I bunted the advance to be sexual over text. Yeah. And you insisted, that's too much. Take a yeah. cue. You're obviously only in this for sex. Like, I yeah. just immediately just was like. like yeah, and you're awful. not that attracted to him. So you don't want the sex. So, yeah, just it's a no. He's a no. I, but I guess what I'm asking, Mark, is, is it an objectively wrong thing to do, but then the exception is when you're 100% on the same page? Yeah. No. Yeah. I, there, no, it's always subjective. It's always subjective. Like, so you're saying that guy is not objectively like a creepo. It's just the no. fact that I'm not into him. That's right. He asked you out. You said yes. So you're you're in a zone that's not like we're perfect strangers. You know, you're in a you're in a zone of flirtation where you you know it's appropriate to flirt. But if you're not into the flirting that he's doing, you know, which is subjective. I think that his mistake. I think his mistake, if I may, which is different than the other guy, is that you have to read that I'm not feeling that level yet. And back off. Like, you're supposed to read it. Like, I literally said, the next time we hang out, I'll indulge it. But slow down, bucko. And he pushes forward and says, oh, come on, we're adults. And it's a fun conversation. I just told you I'm not comfortable with it. Yeah, his, his you know, he's making a mistake in trying to, like, uh, negotiate his way into a flirtation. Like, that doesn't work. Like, I think men of a certain age have learned that the hard way you just don't do that that's wrong it's never going to work i mean whether it's right or wrong it's never going to work so just stop trying right Um, and it turned you off which is what it does you know no anyone negotiating into your pants is not going to you know turn you on so yeah it's going to be a no just don't go on a date i wouldn't go on the date i mean this part's off the record but like with Ken, it's like he's done that the whole time, and I'm so into it. Yeah, because you're because like, hot. You're attracted to him. I know. It's subjective to attraction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. He's got what you want. Yeah. This other guy ain't got it. Like you're not buying. Yeah. Okay. Also, like I'm leaving town, so like mm-hmm. it's stupid to begin with, but then. My the thing in the back of my mind is like you just never know. So, well, my... I think, but that thing in the back of your mind, if I may, sort of draw, connect dots to patterns, <laughs> is that you're always second guessing yourself. Like, am I gonna fuck this up? Yeah, and that's what you don't want. Like, you're trying so hard, you're so scared to mess it up, and you always scrutinize yourself. You know, like it seems like you may be even doing that now where it even isn't even a situation where you were in love and he dumped you. It's like, no, I I feel I feel way more clear actually now after reading the book, like I'm not I'm not second guessing the decision to not to not engage in this. I think I I really am not. I think all I'm explaining is my mindset of why I would even agree to a date with this guy in the first place 
And it was like, hey, I'm not fully that into you, but like if all goes well. But I think that goes back to the criticism of guys that are less attractive, which is my game has to be super perfect because if I fuck up at all, you're out. Whereas the very hot guy gets like 10 passes of bad game because you're so into him. That is just nature. Yeah. I mean, I think in my case, it's not really the objectively hot man. It's just if you're more attracted to somebody, they get more passes. And if you're not, you get the ick faster. That's the ick. That's right. The ick. It's mother nature. And by the way, we're never going to change. We're never going to change that until we become like cyborgs. Yeah. And I want to be clear, like this guy's very attractive. I mean, objectively speaking, he's very attractive. He's just not my type. Yeah. You can only speak for yourself. You only have your interests at heart here. Yeah. But I just, I, I think the audience might think I'm saying, hey, I decided to give the nerdy guy a chance and he blew it. And like, that's not the case. This dude is very attractive and potentially quite smooth. Just like not my cup of tea, you know? Yeah. Well. You're the only tea drink. You're the only tea drinker in the scenario. So you got to protect your palate. Perfect transition since you mentioned tea. Speaking of D, did you watch any, well, actually, I need to rephrase this because every time I say, did you watch and you go, no, the audience gets annoyed. So let me rephrase. I watched the Harry and Meghan documentary. Oh, good for you. Let me, I didn't watch all of it, but let me just Uh like tell you my personal thoughts slash takeaways. Okay. I remain pretty firm on the fact that Meghan Markle is objectionable. And Maren Morris, who's a country music star, came to her defense and said, I don't understand the hatred for Meghan Markle. You know, they're saying she took him away from his family, but like, have you seen his family? <laughs> and that's fine, but I I mean, I okay. Let me let me that that kind of comment is obnoxious to me because we're just saying she took him away from his family. Like to, to say that it's an okay thing if the family just like sucks is a dangerous precedent to set in my opinion. Because well, so if the also, family sucks, you're allowed to alienate your partner from your family. Like I, I don't understand. She, she can't alienate him from his family. That's his decision. So that was my next point, which is I'm really disappointed in Harry and his behavior. I really just think the two of them are ridiculous and Harry included because this story that's getting circulated again and again of how Meghan Markle didn't know she had to curtsy for the queen is, is in and of itself a representation of the entire problem. The first being you're a liar because I don't believe this story at all. The second being that if the story is true, Harry didn't prepare you to curtsy for the queen. You never had this conversation uh, doesn't seem plausible, right? No, no. I, I, and the third being, you didn't d- Google this? Like, you you didn't sit and look up? What, I mean, I Googled the guy I met on Bumble that I fucked a day ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I Google people I'm not even interested in, let alone, like, Prince Harry. Yeah. So, 
I, yeah. I don't I don't buy it at all. The other oh. element, which Howard Stern pointed out, and I completely agree, is it's a little bit creepy that they were videotaping themselves on cell phones before they had the Netflix deal secured, indicating that they anticipated a deal and wanted a deal and were going to use that footage at some point in time. It feels very much in line with our our suspicions of Meghan Markle, which is that she is asking for privacy while also being a fame-hungry person. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy that seems to be at play here. I think you're right. I think that really what they're what she is saying is, I didn't want to be in the monarchy, but I'm still fine with being a public figure, just not in that arena the way they did it, where I couldn't control my own press. I'm fine doing it if I can control my own press, hire my own PR person. I'm not fine doing it when the UK is after me and I have to do appearances I don't want to do. And that version of famous I don't like. This version of famous I like. That's really what this is. Well, when you put it that way, it doesn't sound so bad. Like when mm -hmm. you put it that way, it just sounds like an American who's like, fuck the monarchy. It's it's an it's a dated thing. I don't want any part of that. I love this person. I want to marry the person, but uh, I'm not going to be a. I don't need to be a part of the monarchy. I shouldn't have to be. I think that position, where it's stated clearly and focused, would be fine. I think that I, what I'm I, I'm not intimate with this story. I have no idea what you know what people are saying or what she's saying, but um, what I'm gathering from what I hear is that she's she wasn't so clear about it she was trying to play both sides or trying to yeah. make the peace as long as she could and then couldn't deal with it yeah i think that she probably if i'm giving her the benefit of the doubt here i think that she worked to the united states press and was in the limelight to some extent she wasn't a tom cruise level famous of course but i think she figured hey i have experience with this i've got no problem this is the good version i have experience with this i'm dating this guy i'm in love with i could do this on crack i could handle the UK press, because I've dealt with it in the United States. And the UK press is infamously deplorable. Everybody knows that. We know that from the phone hacks. We've talked about that on another podcast. But but we know that they're deplorable. We know that they're vicious. We know that they're cunning. And I don't think any American can fully an anticipate how bad it is over there, let alone like as part of the monarchy. Like She might have anticipated that she'd be beloved and wouldn't have to go through this and that she'd be protected in some way like like her own PR representatives would do. And according to her, the firm who would be the PR reps, let's say, of the UK did not protect her. So not only did she not anticipate that the hatred she would receive and the power of that in the UK press, but also that the team representing her would not have her best interests at heart in what they put out to the public. That's the good version. The bad version is she wanted to be super famous. She had her sights set on Harry. She thought this would be fantastic for her career. It would take her to the next level. And she embraced it and thought it would be fantastic and then did not anticipate 
the backlash. And what was the backlash specifically? Like what what is what is the gripe here? Well, the other than can... like, you know, I don't want to be part of this like ridiculously like differentials uh monarchy. Well, I think I think we you saw the Oprah interview like and and there's going to be more of that in the upcoming episodes in this documentary. But I think the primary backlash is one, the UK press is racist. And so there was a lot of racist articles about uh, Meghan Markle, which were unfair. Um, And two, there were a lot of leaks that represented her character in a negative light. So she was rude to her own staff. Uh, She was rude to Kate Middleton. They've had arguments that were leaked in the press, and it felt for her as though Kate and William got great press, and when it came to Meghan Markle, every little negative thing was leaked, whether it was true or not. According to her, a lot of it was untrue. And then lastly, I think she did not, I guess, anticipate the how taxing all these appearances would be, I think. I mean, she she didn't say that, but like that's kind of what she said. Well, I mean, if it's a character assassination and she believed that, you know, the royal family were complicit in that or directing it somehow, I mean, that's a legitimate, that's a legitimate gripe, right? Yeah, I think it's a legitimate gripe, but I think that overall, people just didn't like her for Harry and felt that she was... um not sort of playing the game of being like the dutiful wife that you know fuck that game right like i i understand that there could be also there could be at the same time she could be right about being treated unfairly and also be a fame seeking sort of weirdo you know you can be both of those things at the same time and i think that's why it may be a complex issue i think that's a great point you just made and i think that you're on the money. I think that I think that that is why the audience is so divided or America is so the public is so divided on this. I think I think because both things are true. She was treated unfairly. She was not represented well. I think the family did not like her for reasons that have not really been outed by by the monarchy despite all the dirty laundry that's been aired. I think if you got William in a coffee date or like a coffee conversation and he, you were his best friend since childhood and he trusted you implicitly, implicitly, he would lean in and be like, dude, she never asked me one question about my life. She talked about herself for like three hours straight. Also, like she said snippety things to Kate, like. She was always trying to one-up her. Do you know what I mean? Like little things that would indicate exactly what happened that, that they didn't like her. None of that stuff has really been let out. So I think you're right. I think, I think the complexity of this is that both things are true. And so people are like saying, oh, I'm gung-ho for Megan, or she's this fame hungry monster who took Harry away from his family. So yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I think where I fall is more more just on the side of like if you're gonna marry somebody like this, I think it's unfair to then say that you didn't expect certain things and yeah. that 
you know, on some level, you have to know what you're getting into. And that matters. And that would matter in any situation. If you were marrying a um, trial attorney who had no time for you because he was he was working a trial that was like the biggest trial, you know, of the century. And then you complain that he couldn't nurture your relationship. Like both things are true. It's, it's sad that he can't nurture your relationship, but also you married a trial attorney. You knew that Mm -hmm. going in. Like I'm saying that this version of a relationship we see all the time, obviously the fact that it's the monarchy makes it crazy different in a sense but the core element is the same, which is that, you know, don't think it's going to be different for you. Like, you have to curtsy for the queen. If you think that's ludicrous, don't marry a prince. Or marry the prince and just come out and say, there's, there's no fucking way I'm going to curtsy for the fucking queen. I, li- I, will be in, I will be as respectful with my in-laws as i would if they weren't royal but i'm not going to treat anybody differently because they're royal because fuck that it's bullshit i think that's also such a brilliant point you make a lot of really good points and they're they seem simple but they're not simple because what you just said is be honest about what you're willing and not willing to do be very clear and focused about it yeah yes and i would guess from the, the information we've gotten from the two of them themselves, that she was not very honest about what she was willing and not willing to do. And again, if I'm leaning more toward her side, maybe she thought she could do certain things and then got into it and decided this isn't for me. Or the bad version is maybe she... Sorry, one second. <laughs> Yeah, the nefarious version would be that she's manipulative and and knew ahead of time that she wasn't going to play ball, but didn't say it. And that, if that were the case, you know that that's a little bit duplicitous. Exactly, exactly. And and I think my feeling here is I lean more towards duplicitous only because she can tell her story once, but at the point where she keeps telling her story, it feels like it doesn't pass the smell test. It feels well, like a, yeah. a money you, grab. Right. If you tell the story clearly and concisely one time and you're like, that's it. That's my story. I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks about it. That should be enough. You can drop the mic and go. If you just continue dining out on the same thing over and yeah. over. Like, yeah. I, but I don't know what this documentary is. Maybe it's about them moving on from all that. I don't know. No, it's 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 a rehashing of many of the same things. I think it's a attempt to gain public favor because they've been unable to do it. And so, you know, it's it's you know how you have a fight with somebody and you call to apologize and they're still mad at you and then you call and say the same thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but you haven't forgiven me yet. It's like, I know, but I might not ever forgive you. Like, stop calling me. Maybe that's not a good analogy. I'm not the best at analogies, but. <laughs> well, it's like they. It, it's like they want to keep. It's not an apology, though. It's like when someone. Apolo- I think the analogy would be in my mind. If someone wrongs you and they come and say, look, I'm sorry I said that. But. Right, right. It's an I'm sorry, but. And I'm sorry, but is I was totally justified and I'm not sorry. Yeah. So if they keep doing that, then it's just feel like I'm sorry, but. 
Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, I'm just not interested. Like, I don't care yeah, yeah. anymore if they were wronged or whatever. It doesn't matter. I think that I don't like the idea of having monarchies. Um, I've heard arguments from people who are British or who are not British and who love the monarchy and think that it's, you know, this tradition that, you know, gives British people their identity. And, you know, but like, come on, look at the arc of civilization and where are we going to go? Like in a in hundred years, are we still going to have fucking monarchies? Like if, if we, if we do, I think we, um, we really are very slow to evolve. Yeah. I think, I think it's really, I mean, back to like the purpose of it um, with Megan and Harry, I think the purpose is to gain public favor. Um, and I think it's also a cash grab to be frank. I think, I, and, and it's tone deaf on their part. If, if that's the case, like if they just want to gain public favor, um, you look at it like two people who outwardly seem very, both very privileged. Exactly. Um, and if they, if, if they're spending all this time and getting paid ostensibly millions of dollars from, you know, their platform from Netflix to, to, to be in a docu-series or, you know, reality series, let's call it, what it is, um, then, you know, how much sympathy can people have for you? Oh, for sure. And also people can't make the rent, you know? Yeah. And also Harry has kind of alluded to the fact that his family cut him off, but he also mentioned that he was left $8 million from his mother. Well, that's enough. We don't need you to continue making crazy money. And then on top of that, Meghan Markle has that archetypes podcast where she also trades on this situation. So I just feel like in summation, I'm over this conversation about how they were wronged by the royal family, first of all. And second of all, I don't understand what their skills are. I'm confused about it. Like, what What do? You, what is your skill? Can you hang a floating shelf? I don't know. I don't know what your skill is. I right. just don't know. Well, yeah. And, and they can be rich and not pretend to have a skill. Just just get off my tv you know I, I i also subscribe to the idea that you don't have to watch it if you don't like it so you know that's that's gonna be me I, i'm not gonna watch that yeah i just think it's a little bit annoying when people say oh the criticism of her is unfair because i feel like i'm not a dick here i don't like her and i think i have good reason in my instincts as to why i don't like her i don't have to like her Stop telling me I have to like her. I'm not like some woman hater because I don't like her, you know? Let me ask you, why don't you think she's auditioning for roles? Or do you think she is? I don't think she is. And I think that she's too good for that now because she's a royal. I swear to God, that's what I yeah. think. I, I I do. I think it's like the cognitive dissonance her... is annoying, huh? What do you mean? The The cognitive dissonance, like the 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 holding of two opposing ideas at the same time in your yeah. head to try and track this shit yeah is so frustrating and annoying yeah that's why i'm like fuck it are you are you a, are you a royal or aren't you a royal are yeah, you an actor oh, yeah. Or aren't you an actor? but that but that's the other thing that made me think her intentions were were 
really shady because when they originally left the monarchy, they wanted to use royal branding on products and their own brand. Like, and then it was, yes. And, and the monarchy said Only no. Only a fucking American would do that. Oh yeah. And they said no. And so she had, they had to take it down and rebrand and then do this whole Archwell thing, but they probably wanted to like make fucking pillows and shit. So I just yeah. think like she really, really thought, in my opinion, that this was going to catapult her to the next level. And when it didn't, and when she couldn't gain public favor in this role, and it all sort of came crashing down, she was like, well, what the fuck did I do this for? That's what I think. I'm not I'm not saying she doesn't really love him. Maybe she does. Um, but does it's it like- seem like it when, they're, when you watch them? You seem like they love each so, other. It's so triggering for me because it reminds me of my brother and my sister-in-law. Oh. I'll edit that out. But, <laughs> but it seems like, no, I don't know. Not for me. It doesn't seem like they're in love. I don't buy it. But, you know, I, I think very few people are in love. Very few that I see. Like Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck in love. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I mean, I'll take your word for it, but I, I think just given what I know about like having been together and then split up for a while and finding each other again. Yeah. Like, you don't go back to somebody if you don't love them. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's hard to read because he kind of reads as like just miserable Ben Affleck. Um, but man, she looks at him with those. She's so emotive. So she looks with those googly eyes, you know. Um, whereas Ben just always looks like he didn't get a good night's sleep, no matter what relationship he's in. <laughs> but I definitely think he is, is in love with her. But um, You think he's attractive though, right? Oh, yeah. I've seen him in person. He's very attractive. He's just an attractive mm-hmm. like body and like specimen of a man. He has like a presence about him. I don't know that he has that knock me over star power attractiveness like Brad Pitt who I've seen in person or Pierce Brosnan who I've seen in person but he's definitely an attractive man he's just he's just a good looking guy like if he was on a dating app I would like go that's a good looking guy but I don't know that I would say whoa like way out of my league you know but I feel the same way about DiCaprio. I've seen him in person. Good looking guy. Is he mm-hmm. gorgeous? No. Like, is he Brad Pitt? No. The only one I well, have Apparently seen is- Brad Pitt is like the top dog. Like nobody beats him, right? Nobody beats him. And I don't think he's had any plastic surgery. Like, I think Tom Cruise has actually had his jaw done to look more like a star. I don't think Brad Pitt's had any plastic surgery. Wow. And he's also aging. Like, he looks older to me, but also yeah. still gorgeous. Fired up. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Can we move on to the next story? Yeah. All right. Staying in line with our, we're going back to our law theme. Did you see the article I sent you about Mauricio Amansky? No, I don't subscribe anymore to that paper. I used to have like every subscription and I wasn't reading the paper. So I just, when it all, I just, Took them all down to one, just the New York Times now. I'll cut all of that out because my audience doesn't like it. So let me tell you about Mauricio. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about Mauricio. Yeah, it's always better when you're like, hey, how about this? 
I know. I know. But I actually want to know if you read it because it changes my tone. Like I would say, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like I wouldn't say, I don't know. I would just talk to you differently. I feel like if I knew yeah. you read it. But I represent the readers and or your listeners and they haven't, they haven't read it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm like their surrogate in this shenanigan but this one is really complicated so i actually sent it to you because i wanted you to help me with it but then i found another article that explained it a little bit better so oh. even though it is a law case i have no understanding of real estate law whatsoever it's very complex i don't get it mm. it all feels like a conflict of interest to me like how you could represent a buyer and a seller and take double commission i will never understand um Weird. but Here's the deal. Mauricio is the husband of Kyle Richards, who is the star of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And they have this sort of love story on screen that's never really been questioned. And everybody sort of loves them together, you know. But Mauricio is in real estate and he's been sued. And one of the lawsuits on this particular case is actually going to trial. The other one settled. So another plaintiff that was involved in the case settled with him and one of them didn't. So let me just give you the rundown of what happened. So this all starts in 2019. Mauricio is sued for fraud because he sells this $32 million Malibu property. So the former owner of the mansion, um, the, okay, sorry. Mauricio sells the property to a man named Oberfeld for $32.5 million. The deal is approved by the government. The owner is this guy, Teodoro. Maybe I shouldn't say his name. Um, if it's in the press. No, because I can't pronounce it. And it's like oh. embarrassing. Oh. I think it's Mang. So, so the owner's name is Mang, let's say, because his name okay. is difficult to pronounce. So he's the son of the president of his native country, Equatorial Guinea. This is where I don't really get it fully. Mm -hmm. But he, that property was seized by the government and Mauricio was given permission to sell the home. But... Okay. So so the so the the New Guinea the the Equatorial Guinea guy owned the home. The U.S. government seized it, and the U.S. government allowed it to be sold, and and the proceeds were supposed to go to the U.S. government because they had seized. So it. that's the part that's really confusing. So the claim the claim is that the owner of the home sold the property for less than its market value. Because Mauricio convinced him to sell it at $32 million. But when so, did it get seized? Forget the seizure because oh. it's too confusing. So okay. let's just say the owner of the home is convinced by Mauricio to sell the property for $32 million to this guy Oberfeld, right? Mm -hmm. So then... More, so the problem is that Mauricio failed to disclose that he was purchasing the property in partnership with Oberfeld. Oh, yeah, that's it's yeah, so fucked up. That's trouble. Yeah, you, you should be sued. Yeah. So they then sell the home for $70 million. They basically flip it from yeah. 35 to 70 million. So the owner is claiming like 
dude, you convinced me to sell it for less than its market rate, not telling me that you were going to be a buyer. Like, how is this? How does this not? This is why I don't understand real estate. Like, if you were an attorney doing this, your license would be revoked. I don't understand how this isn't just like stands to get your real estate license revoked. How is this just a civil lawsuit? Really? Really? I, I just, that, I that's what I, I, I think you're right. I think it should be totally, uh, I think it's fraud. It sounds like fraud. Right. So Mang accuses, Mang the owner, accuses Mauricio of withholding information about even higher offers that came in during the marketing process so that Mauricio could gain a bigger profit. Right. Totally. It's obviously it's a conflict of interest. It's fraud. Yeah. So a settlement is reached between Ming and Mauricio. But then here's where it gets complicated. A man named Sam Hakeen filed a suit against Mauricio, alleging that he offered $40 million for the Malibu property, but was told not to submit his offer in writing. He claims that he later discovered Mauricio had raked in a fortune after partnering to buy and sell the mansion. So Hakeem and his brother filed lawsuits against Mauricio, right? Of course, you Good. get that. Like, yeah. they, they offer 40 and and the feeling is that he never relays the offer, right? Yeah, because he they're wants victims the of this fraud too. Yeah, exactly. I just don't understand again how this doesn't get your real estate license revoked. Like this should just be illegal. I, I it's so confusing. So um Mauricio claims that he only became involved in Oberfeld's company in 2016 after all of this happened. But in the summer, the judge ruled that there are documents proving that there was a concrete plan for a joint partnership that had already been in the works. So it's mm -hmm. super, super shady. And I don't understand how it doesn't get more press. It's it's. It's shocking to me that when Kyle Richards is at a reunion, she's not being hounded about this because other housewives have been asked time and time again about their husband's lawsuits. It makes no sense to me. And then the other thing that has always been hanging over the head of the Beverly Hills Housewives franchise that's never been explained. And anyone who watches it and is a fan will know what I'm talking about. There's an infamous moment between Kyle Richards and her sister, Kim Richards, who is briefly on the Housewives. Mm -hmm. And Kim had drug and alcohol problems and was very open about that and eventually left the series on her own, I think, and just didn't want to do it anymore. But in one fight in a limo, Kyle and Kim are yelling at each other. And Ky Kim turns around and yells at Kyle, you stole my house. And Kyle just looks white. And it's never explained. No one's ever talked about it again. And that's one that's hanging over the franchise. The other thing that I think is hanging over is that Kyle has another sister, Kathy Hilton, who's Paris Hilton's mother. And follow, oh, follow this for a second. Yeah. Well, so Kathy Hilton and Kyle Richards have always had a fractured sister bond. They're always off and on, speaking, not speaking. Um, and we never really know the heart of why they don't talk. I have a theory. Oh. I have a hypothesis. Mauricio, who we just talked about in this lawsuit, 
got his start in real estate by working for none other than Kathy Hilton's husband, Rick Hilton. I believe that something nefarious happened between Mauricio and Rick when Mauricio left that business. I don't know. I have absolutely zero personal knowledge of this, but this is my conspiracy theory. Might not be true, but given Mauricio's shady dealings here, allegedly shady dealings, I think something is up and I smell a rat. And I think that it seeps into other things. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. Well, I wouldn't put it past. I wouldn't put it past people. Um, all right. Another, uh, law story, which I am really excited to report is that New York passed a law called the New York survivors act, which allows survivors of alleged sexual offenses to bring their claims outside the original statute of limitations Mm -hmm. against both people and institutions or employers. So, you know, that the complaint about sexual assault has always been that there's a statute of limitations on the claims. So in the case of Bill Cosby, he went to prison because only one person, one accuser fell within the statute of limitations. And that was enough for him to be put away. Had everyone been able to come forward, we'd be seeing a much different result. So I've always felt like what's the difference between that and murder Why can you be tried for murder 30 years after the fact, but not sexual assault? Because someone's dead. Or attempted murder or robbery or burglary. Like there are Oh, really? All of those? Like robbery or burglary? There's no there's no statute of limitations. No, there's no statute of limitations. So it makes no sense that sexual assault has a statute of limitations. The reason is because there's not enough evidence once a case goes on long enough. The evidence would be stale and the memories would have faded. But my argument would be bring that up in trial. If there's not enough evidence to go to trial, it'll get kicked out. The grand jury will say no go. Legal question. Who, what, what is a grand, who makes up your grand jury? What is this? The grand jury is. You hear about it all the time, but I don't think people know about it. They decide on an indictment. So they decide whether the case goes to trial so that you present it's like a mini trial so you present made up of like citizens yeah yeah it's a jury so Mm -hmm. that's a group of citizens empowered by law to conduct legal proceedings but they investigate they basically Mm -hmm. decide whether there's enough evidence to go to trial and the standard is way lower than would be in the actual trial so it's just like a preliminary um like mini trial to determine whether it is just crazy stupid to even mm-hmm. go to trial because there's nothing that right. would warrant it. Um, no there, there. Right, exactly. So um, let me just make sure I got that right really quick. I'm so glad you're an attorney. It's very helpful. The grand jury's principal function is to determine whether or not there is probable cause to believe that one or more persons committed a certain federal offense within the venue of the district court. So they're determining probable cause. So they're not determining guilty or not guilty. They're just Mm -hmm. determining whether there's enough evidence to go to trial. So a lot of people will skip the grand jury because they know that 
it's going to trial no matter what. They just yeah. know, like a defense attorney would know, and they don't necessarily want to air out their defense in front of the prosecution. And, you know, knowing mm. that it's going to go to trial anyway, why would I show all my cards and how I'm going to conduct this case? So mm -hmm. they will waive it. Um, but if somebody gets indicted in the grand jury, then you go to trial. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, well, it's interesting. Yeah. So, so I guess what I'm saying is like, show your evidence if it's stale and if it, if there's not enough and if it seems unbelievable, then okay. Like anything else, mm -hmm. I just, you know, I don't get it. So, so New York did away with the statute of limitations or is this just a temporary window? It's a temporary window within a year. So it, it permits, um, uh, the plaintiff still bears the burden of proof and may face higher evidentiary rules, but they can recover um, damages, of course. So the one-year window under the act begins six months after the law signing and allows a plaintiff to file a lawsuit regardless of the statute of limitations. This means that the first actions can be filed on November 24th and the window closes in November of next year. Hmm. So, the, so November 24th was you know, not quite a month ago. Yeah. Have have a bunch of people come forward? Yeah, yeah. There's more Bill Cosby people, I think, and Harvey Weinstein people from what I know. And mm. um, obviously other cases that aren't in the news. But mm. yeah, I don't know. So we'll see what happens. But I've never, I've never understood the statute of limitations. Like, it's like anything else. If there's not enough evidence there, I mean, obviously we know sexual assault's incredibly hard to prove, especially from years and years ago when there wasn't DNA evidence. And sometimes there's never DNA evidence and it's one person's mm -hmm. word against the others. So of course yeah. it's going to be hard to prove, but. Mm -hmm. Cause even if you can prove, even if you could prove that they had sex, then you have to prove whether it was, it was consensual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there, but, but if you, go and do that rape kit, you know, mm -hmm. by the way, trigger warning. Um, but if you go in and go to the hospital immediately after the, a lot of the assumption is that there will be bruising or, yeah. or evidence of, you know, fighting back, things like that. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. Yep. So, um, but you know, I mean, we've learned also that like somebody could give in, but they're not, but they're still raped because they said no repeatedly, you know, so it's all mm -hmm. so complicated. Um, but anyway, uh, that transitions me into the next topic, which is, um, God, I forgot her last name. Sorry. Oh, Georgia Harrison. Uh, so I watch a show on MTV called The Challenge. And there's a girl on the challenge called her name is Georgia Harrison. And she dates this guy bear Stephen bear on the challenge. And he secretly records them having sex and uploads it to only fans without her permission. What? Yeah. So it's super vile. What state um, are they in? Well, it's illegal there. She's suing him civilly, I believe. Um, wait, no, is he being charged criminally and civilly? I'm not if sure. It's California. You can't, you can't, record people in california without them consenting even no, if no, for no. Conversation. it's illegal it's illegal i just don't know if the trial going on now is civil or criminal mm. 
challenges. Wow. How does a person secretly record sex? Yeah, it's both civil and criminal. Well, She's well, seeking so yeah, yeah. I, it, no, this guy is the most vile, disgusting human being. Like I, anybody who does that is vile. So there's not a ton to talk about in that regard. But yeah. I think the thing that it sort of begs the question in my head, and I'm curious for your thoughts on this. Would you ever, I know you're a man, I'm a woman, so our perspectives might be different on how mm -hmm. much risk we're willing to take. But would you ever consensually record yourself having sex with somebody? Hell no. <laughs> Would you? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah. But I've been asked. I mean, in relationships, I've been asked. Like, people I trust have asked me. Like, oh, it'll be like a kinky, fun thing to do. And I'm like, you could Ooh. upload that shit if we ever broke up and use it as, as you know. Yeah. It, it, no, I have the same icky reaction to that. Like, people are people are creepy. And I don't want to see it. Well, that's the other thing. I had a friend who did this in college and he yeah. goes, we're, I'm going to record us having sex. And he, they went on a weekend away together. It was him and his high school sweetheart. And he came back and he goes, I'm so depressed. And I go, why? And he goes, I'm so bad in bed. And I didn't know until I recorded us. And he goes, I look disgusting. Like I'm so yeah. grossed out. Yeah. But I don't want to know. I feel like I'm terrible too. I don't want to know about that. No, it seems like not kinky and not hot, but no. I'm just wondering like, what if, I mean, you're married. What if your wife is like, Mark, this is something that would turn me on. Like, aside no. from being grossed out by yourself. We could put the we could put the phone and pretend it's recording. Right. But you agree I with me that it's a scary thing to do. Yes. Yes. Because also, like, it goes to the cloud and shit. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> okay. No, thank you. No, never. I mean, the truth is, like, obviously, you don't even know in the moment if somebody is a scoundrel and just recording you without your consent, like that's one thing. But then the next step or element is recording you with your consent and then getting angry with you and using it as revenge porn at a later date. Yeah. You gotta, I, I would question just the, the mental fortitude of psychological sanity, basically of anyone who wants to record it. And if they secretly record it, they're just scum. Well, I know people who have recorded themselves having sex. I mean, I just gave you an example. Like, they want to see it. Sure. That turns sure. them on. I probably would not be having sex with anyone like that. Right. It wouldn't. The relationship wouldn't get to that point. There'd be other signs, you know. They'd be creepy in other ways. You know, they wouldn't load the dishwasher right or something. I don't know. Um. All right. I don't have a ton of other stories to talk about, except I don't know why I want to talk about this because it's, like, somewhat stupid. But... I watched the finale of the Kardashians and if the show wasn't already going downhill, that season, season two was so deplorable. And at first I thought the show was produced in such a hokey way for E like they would come up with dumb scenarios and stuff that were gags and clearly produced. And I always felt like this show is so dumb and fake and now that it's on Hulu and it's more serious and there are no produced gags, it feels super boring. But that's not the problem. That's one problem. The other problem is there's so much going on in their lives that are no longer being shown on the main series. Like, 
we know that Kanye West is insane and an anti-Semite and Kim Kardashian really does not talk about their divorce and their current dynamic at all. She just sort of brushes over it, you know? So the one thing the show had going for it, which was ostensibly reality and reflecting their lives doesn't do. No. And I think that inevitably begins to happen with every reality show when people grow up because there's too many people to protect. If it's just you and your dating life and you're um, got dumped and you own that. So like you can talk about that, but when it's the father of your children and he is a vicious, hateful piece of shit, anti-Semite you can't really talk about it because you have children together I mean, you could, and I think she should talk about it a little bit more, um, but but it's complicated, I guess, is all I'm saying. Man, yeah, I mean, it would. I I would imagine it'd be interesting to people to see how how you're dealing with the to be asked to be asked. You know, how are you dealing with this with your children? How are you explaining it to them? Exactly, I think that's a great question to ask, and and then. And then there was the Astroworld tragedy that Travis Scott wasn't was, you know, at Travis Scott's concert and, you know, the trans no. many people died at Travis Scott's concert because they rushed the stage or whatever. Well, I'm just going to say, I'll did it collapse or something? They, they trampled all over each other and were oh. like, yeah. And Travis Scott claims that he didn't know that he was on the stage and he didn't see it. And people were like, jumping up going stop the concert stop the concert like it was horrific so they did not talk about the Asher world tragedy at all on the show you know there's a lot that Kendall Jenner's not talking about her romantic private relationship Kourtney Kardashian is talking about her new relationship but she's not talking about her children and how they're adjusting to it I mean there's so many elements that made that show real as you know, real in quotations, that's not even there anymore. Yeah. I never watched it anyway, but if I, if I had, I'd probably be over it because I'd be duped to into watching something that's not even reflective of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. I think for them, I, I think they don't want to do it anymore. I think they don't want to be honest anymore. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Hang, it up, yeah. Hang it up, you know. I'm, I'm just. I gotta say, I'm just a little bit disappointed, or a lot disappointed, in Kim Kardashian for not going harder on speaking out against anti-Semitism. I think that that's pretty terrible. And then on top of that, I think um, the Balenciaga scandal. You know, so <laughs> in a nutshell, Balenciaga. Um, designed an ad that had a child in it and in the ad it sort of alluded to or promoted child pornography and there there are all these references to like bdsm in the ad like there's a teddy bear with like a harness on it and the child is holding the teddy bear i'll show you the ad oh boy So here's the ad. 
Oh my god. It's so fucked up. That's and, sick. And then on one of the desks, which I don't see it here, but there's papers that have a child pornography case on it. Like what a lawsuit. Yeah. What are they selling? Oh, it's it's just disgusting. But Kim Kardashian is the face, basically, of Balenciaga. And I don't feel she went hard enough on Balenciaga and coming down on them. So, yeah, I mean, overall. Well, fuck her. Yeah, that's my point, you know. Um, All right, Mark, anything else going on that you. Um, well, care? I know you're a big fan of Howard Stern. And, um, you know, I don't have a lot of time to to watch things or listen to things, but, uh, but I did watch his very long interview with Bruce Springsteen, whom I love. Oh, what'd you think of it? I thought it was great. I thought it was great too. I I have a friend that is a Springsteen obsessed fan Mm -hmm. and he does not like Howard Stern. And he felt that that interview was more for, people who aren't massive Springsteen fans, like they didn't learn anything new from the interview and they kind of wish that they had. Um, But that would be like such an inside baseball interview at that point. So I don't know. I mean, I I wish he had talked a little bit more about Bruce's relationship with Patty, um, you know, more of the personal stuff, but I I don't know. I thought it was fantastic. Like I, you know, he could have touched on the Ticketmaster scandal. Like he could have pushed a little bit harder on certain controversial topics, but. Did you feel I like I did where, you know, you're mentioning pushing harder. Like, did you feel like it was cut a bit? Like they would go, like Howard would ask a question. They would kind of scratch the surface and then cut. They'd be then on the next question. Do you feel like they left a lot on the cutting room floor? I don't think it was like a two and a half hour interview, right? Yeah, it was I, long, but it I did think feel they like might, they truncated things. I, I didn't watch the H. I watched part of the HBO one, but I listened to the live interview. So it's possible when they did it for HBO, they did cut certain sentences that might have trailed off to condense it. But mm-hmm. I don't think Bruce sat there for longer than two and a half hours. Okay, I, I don't think so. Um, well, but, I mean, they he's they 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 alluded to him coming back and maybe Patty coming with him. Well, it's interesting because Howard Stern was not a Bruce Springsteen fan. He kept saying, like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And he talked shit. Mm-hmm. And he talked a little bit of shit about Patty. And at some point, Bruce said, like, Patty's not over it. You know? Like, he did. Yeah, he's like, she's a long memory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so it is funny <laughs> that Bruce is there, given Howard, like, talking shit. But I remember Howard, I think, saw Bruce's Broadway show And was like, I get it. I get it now. And I was never a Springsteen fan until I saw him live and was like, I get it. Like, this guy does not break a bead of sweat on that stage for three and a half hours. And I loved that he said... You, you'd have to cart me off the stage because I just feel like so many musicians when you see them perform don't want to be there like they're there mm-hmm. to make money they'd rather be home with their family and I can understand that but they're not living in the moment of joy on the stage and you can tell the difference as a fan in the audience as to who is living on that stage in the moment and Springsteen I've always felt like 
loves performing and the Mm -hmm. fact that his wife's a musician and with him it makes me even happier because I go you know what they're together like it's not damaging his marriage he's not forsaking anything to do this thing and so So you feel it on in the concert on the stage in his life so to hear him say like unless I'm fucking unable to physically step on the stage like I'm performing till I die that just made me so happy to hear I just I just loved that um and I believe it and I like that he also in speaking to like what I said earlier about Instagram and how there's no diversity of posts Springsteen felt very light and shade to me in that interview like you know, when he said he joked about Patty, like the clock's still ticking on when she, what did he say? Like when she knows I'm in it or something like some joke about the marriage, like being fallible to like Mm -hmm. the same shit, like Patty yelling at him or something. I was like, okay, like he's not presenting a bullshit scenario. Like he said he had been to therapy. He said that he had, there had been ups and downs that his childhood informed bad habits. You know what I mean? So he had to do the work. His first marriage failed. He felt like a failure. All that stuff made me just love him even more because it felt like we're getting an authentic guy, an authentic interview. Also, Mark, this is neither here nor there, but did you get a look at like his arms in the interview? Like a little bit. I don't mean to be like a thirsty hoe, but like, Bruce Springsteen's got like the body of a fucking teenager. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you exercise and love what you do and what you do happens to be exercise without even knowing it, you're going to, you're going to keep going. And he said he didn't have plastic surgery. Didn't have any of that. Yeah. But he doesn't even have like his skin. Like he doesn't even have aged arms. Like his arm skin is like a 10 year old. Like what the fuck? (laughs) He's like a teenager. He's awesome. And I, he, I loved that Howard Stern acknowledged that he had been negative about Springsteen and that he, you know, he's going through a growth journey himself. And that he's, uh, he was very appreciative that Bruce had graciously come on the show. And uh, I, I loved all that behind the scenes stuff that was going on too. What did, that's when Bruce said Patty has a long, me- or Patty is less forgiving. Well, or yeah. Cause, cause, cause Howard was like, well, maybe when you come back, maybe she'll come too. You know, I'd love to get you guys together and talk more about that. And he's like, oh, I don't know. She has a longer memory. Yeah. I uh, love that. Yeah. Yeah. Did Howard explain Sicilian I, memory? What did he say exactly was the reason he hated on Bruce? Did he say? He didn't say. I looked it up after, um, but I don't even remember what it was about, honestly. Well, I just remember he would say, um, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get the vibe. I don't get the way he talks. I find him, you know, like he just would like kind of bag on his personality a little bit and like said he didn't love the music. Um, But but Howard was very jealous of people that were ideal. I idolized that were Mm -hmm. not him like. And, you know, Howard also had this redemption tour because he had Bill Maher on his show and him and Bill Maher had had a falling out. And so they made up and Howard had apologized to him. Um, And so, yeah, I think that's great. I just wish 
that didn't translate until ha- into Howard kissing everyone's ass. Cause I think that he's been doing that lately when he lands these huge interviews. And that was not the fun of Howard Stern. Like the fun was that you went on there and got a little made fun of too. Well, I think it's, I think it's refreshing that he's honest and he has honest questions. And um, I don't follow him as much as you do. So I don't have this sense of a pattern of him kissing people's asses. I just don't know. Yeah, he does. That. Big fans know or complain about that. Like, for instance, he had Neil Patrick Harris on and he read an interview from an actor who worked with Neil Patrick Harris that said he was like the most obnoxious kid in the world and like a horrible person to work with. And he was laughing with Neil and he goes, Neil, what did you do? Like what? what oh, from did Doogie he... Hauser from the Doogie Hauser days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He goes, what exactly did you do? That made you so awful. And then Neil's laughing and he goes, I don't even remember, but yeah, I would think like, maybe he's right. I don't know. And like, they're cracking up about it. So he would do stuff like that. Where I feel it, like if he's differential to somebody who had he, he had previously dissed, I think that's fair. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's you're right. But like, I just don't need it. to see Matthew McConaughey on the show, like waxing on about his life with no pushback from Howard Stern, you know, stuff like that. Now there is a point. Yeah. Um, On his book tour, like no offense, Matthew, but it was like a little over the top. Um. All right. Well, I hope you're well, Mark. We need to catch up on the phone privately because I have so much to talk to you about that I didn't say on the podcast. I know my aunt will call me and be like, what did you tell Mark off the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I'm going to a a happy hour for tech people tonight, which is like kind of funny. I don't know. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm not a tech person, but like I'm going to bring my resume card. Yeah. Yeah. But also like. I'm going to hand out my resume card to everybody and be like, "Mm, need a resume. Um, All right, Mark, thank you. And we talked for a while with not a lot of news going on. So this was positive. Yeah, it turns out we can just talk. Yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I will uh, see you guys soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye.